is a fool. We're foolish. And, and when we say fool, we mean someone who is morally insensitive. They don't know what's really right. And they may know it, but they've, they've, done, they've accepted wrong as being acceptable for so long their hearts have become hardened and they're blinded. They disregard and they convince themselves that God does not matter. Can you, this talk to speak, in, and you know the Lord's hearing this. It's just, it's just beyond comprehension. When you are, you've been walking with the Lord and you, you've, been, you've been there, you can have mercy upon this guy because you can understand that Satan has blinded him. But I'm not sure what it is. I think he's a philosopher. He can maybe find that out by without running it. He might build it. His name is I think it's Rex. I'm not sure. That's a good question, but we'll find that answer for you. So, you think, um, you know, why is it that an atheist, you know? goes down that path. Most people really are true atheists. Um, Ray Comfort used to say, um, God doesn't believe in atheists. <laughs> because you can, you, every atheist that's on an airplane that's about to crash, what is the first thought that comes into their minds? No doubt, right? Oh, God! Ray, uh, what's, what's um, Dawkins? was being interviewed by a cardinal and he's always criticizing Christians because they don't know the Bible. They don't know what they believe. And so he's the, you know, his manifesto that he follows and stuff. He says, well, could you give me, the cardinal asked him, could you give me some of the, the, the tenets of your manifesto? And he, he couldn't record it. He could, he's speechless. It, like blank. Dawkins. Did I say Dawkins? No, the priest is asking him about his manifesto, and he couldn't, you know, he's criticized Christians for not knowing theirs, but he can't quote his. And, and, and to top it off, he goes, oh, God. <laughs> oh, excuse me, I thought you didn't believe he existed, right? <laughs> Stephen Fry, okay. We need to, we'll just pray for him tonight. <laughs> so he believes in his heart that there is no God, but he really does believe deep down inside. He just has repressed it and denies it. I can remember standing in front of the mirror, living in sin one time as a young man, thinking the thought crossing my mind, I'm going to be judged for these things that I've been doing. I quickly dismissed that thought, but it, it was there. Now, how did that happen? The Holy Spirit was convicting me, dealing with me. You know, that, but without God's help, the natural man is completely darkened. We are blind. It's, it's really a terrible situation. We might know right from wrong because of our conscience, right? But it's only through the power of God that we're able to change and to turn to God. If we, read, if we do turn to God, because 
we're testimonies of that. We were all rebels, right? Were we not rebels? And we somehow, the Lord convicted us and we said, I can't live this way. I, this guilt, I've got this weight that has to be dealt with. And when we responded in contrition and asked for mercy, man, it changed. But notice the description here of the natural man. And I don't know that there's, I think there's a lot of churchgoers who really believe they're not that bad. They're just not that bad. We're, 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 a, we're a good people. I remember my grandmother, and she scared me sometimes after I got saved, and she, would, she said this, there's good blood in your veins. Okay, well, I hope so, because I'm still, still pumping, you know. Tell her why she said the reason, the proof that there's good blood in your veins, not a what? Not a... Oh, yes. We, had, she, we didn't have anybody in our, in our ancestral line that was in prison. <laughs> No jailbirds. She went through a whole list like that. Like, so somehow, that, well, that's called self-righteousness, by the way. Anyway. But there's a lot of people who it's hard for them to come to the point because they have been morally responsible in the sense that they've obeyed their conscience and they haven't crossed the line. So therefore, I'm okay. But it's it's seeing beyond that for me it was no hard it was not hard to say you know yeah i'm a sinner but it's hard for people who've tried to do right all their lives to come to that point but this is really the description of the, the natural man there's none where they are corrupt have done abominable iniquity and we, and there's none that does good so what so the standard of measurement for natural man is not the same standard that god has right which is perfection so what is corruption within? The willingness to be... Everybody's told a lie. All men are liars, right? I'm pretty sure we all snitched something, at least maybe when we were in single digits or early in the double digits, we snitched something and we got in the cookie jar when we weren't supposed to, right? We're corrupt, which really just means worthless. And so this is what Paul is talking about. In Romans seven eighteen, I know that in, in me, that is in my flesh, my fallen nature, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will do, I do not do. And the evil I will not to do, I, that I practice. Now if I do that I will not do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Herein lies the battle for the Christian life, right there. Romans 7, 18. We, through 20, 7, 18 through 20. How does the Christian deal with sin in his life? And it's by faith, like anything else. We came and we received forgiveness by faith. Lord, I know I'm a sinner, please forgive me. It's the same way with overcoming the flesh and the fallen nature because it is a process when Israel crossed into the promised land they didn't possess it immediately they, God allowed things there to what? to test them so God doesn't completely eradicate our fallen nature at salvation he allows it there to test us to show us where we're really at and to keep us crying out and to create that tension of needing him. Because if we had it all together, what would we do? We would just live independently from him. 
So he wants us constantly bringing it to him. You know, if you can picture the potter's wheel, and many of you can relate to this, it's like you're on the wheel, like it or not, and it's a spinning around slowly and surely in the potter's hand, the Holy Spirit, who is the great sanctifier and truth teller, is putting his hand upon us as it spins and he's shaping us and molding us. And do you ever notice that you've been through something and you get through it and it's like, wow, man, I was really a hassle. Oh, Lord, please, I don't want to go through that anymore. And then maybe sometime later you come back to similar type setting. I thought I was through that. I thought I had victory. Well, you probably did. Rest assured, you probably did. But there's a little bit more work that needs to be done there. It's still there. It's just getting refined. And the more that that wheel spins, the, that sometimes the pressure of the Holy Spirit and God working gets pushed tighter and tighter. But he's shaping us. He's molding us. He's using that to develop something within us that could not be developed otherwise. And so... We should not become, the point is we're not to be discouraged in this. It is the process that God has chosen to sanctify us. We just have to know that we are at is our base corrupt. We, we are able to commit, as it says here, evil deeds, abominable wickedness. Do you understand? We, it's, I like what I wrote down, presumptuously in every way contrary to the holiness of God. I mean, I can't think of a worse predicament to be in, right? And, and then we prove it by verses 4. Have the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat at my people as they eat bread and they do not call upon God. And there, there they are in great fear where no fear was. So... The workers of iniquity, what we are capable of, they prove this. We prove it. Mankind proves this over and over. We're ignorant of our understanding. We're wicked. We're, dis- we're uh, ignorant. And we do evil things to one another. We take advantage of each other for personal gain. Think about this bread thing, this is, sort of makes me think of someone who did an evil deed and then sat down and ate. And this is a common practice, by the way, among the wicked. Joseph's brothers threw him into the pit and then they sat down to eat and they heard him crying. The callousness, the hardness of heart to just throw your flesh, your flesh and blood family member into a pit and then sit down and eat a meal with him crying and that's just that's what we're capable of that's hard-heartedness yes notice here they do not call upon god that fellow we just heard i doubt if he has a prayer life i'm pretty sure he doesn't have a prayer life according to that he might pray to the to the greek gods but he's not praying to yahweh they do not inquire of the lord they live in fear and see, why do, why do people that are wicked and following their corrupt nature do what they do? They're insecure. I want to shut off all the devices in here and say, why do you think the government fears us? Because they're wicked. 
And they, they fear the numbers. We outnumbered them. They live in fear of us because they know what they're trying to do with, and what they're, what they're trying to do is, is tyranny. Their tyrannical leadership. That's what all governments do. Look at history. The idea of government eventually will lead to tyranny to, to lord it over and eventually destroy people. That's what corruption leads to. And so they live in fear. They're insecure. And that's why they do what they do. They're, and um, they got to keep us down, discouraged, and lied to. So that's, just, I think, why people are atheists because they really don't like the innate conviction of the coming day of judgment. Every one of us have that within us. We know there's just something built within us that we are going to give an account for what we did and how we've lived. You don't have to tell little kids that. They sort of come to that knowledge. You think about those who live after the flesh receive the curses of the flesh. Leviticus 26, 17, I will set my face against you and you shall be defeated by your enemies. This is what he said to Israel. But put this in the context of what we're talking about. God's face is against those who do evil. You know, it may appear that the, the wicked are prospering, but it is just but for a moment. It looks like they've got it all together and they'll never suffer. Oh, no. It's just temporary. It's just a matter of time. Leviticus 26, 36, 37 says, As for you, those of you who are left, I will send faintness of, into your hearts into the hands of, and into the lands of their enemies. The sound of the shaken leaf shall cause me, them to flee. They shall flee as though fleeing from a sword, and they shall fall as one no one pursues. They shall stumble over one another as it were before a sword when no one pursues. You shall have no power to stand before your enemies. And as Proverbs 28, 1 says, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. So that is said in the context of what would happen to God's people if they rebelled against him, the curse that would come upon them. Those who are not God's people live in that atmosphere. That is... They live in constant fear and insecurity. And they put up a front, but deep down inside, that's what's there. They have no respect for God. They don't pray, and they are aware that they're going to face judgment. And then David ends this psalm. <laughs> Praise the Lord on a good note. Salvation will come out of Zion. Hallelujah. God provided our atonement for our wickedness in the person of Jesus Christ when he hung on the cross in Jerusalem. He's going to restore us when God brings back the captivity of his people. That's what happens to you and I when we repent. We're restored, regenerated. We don't have to we don't no longer live after the flesh. Read through Romans 6 through 8. The the, the sin nature, the power of the Holy Spirit and living a crucified life. It happens. And now you think, well, I know I've been trying really hard, but it just seems like I'm always losing. Well, it's just like Abraham waiting for the promise of his son. Impotent, his wife, barren, who against hope believed in hope. That's the way you have to look at your failures when you constantly fail and don't measure up to what you know is right. 
Lord, I know I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have said this. I, I know better than that. By faith, Lord, I know you've forgiven me. I will overcome. And you keep bringing it to the cross. You keep bringing it over and over and over. Eventually, you'll win. We are victors. We are the overcomers. How many things do you have to overcome to be an overcomer? One thing. That's all. We are overcomers. I like to think I can overcome more than one thing, but at least we're overcomers, right? And we can rejoice, as he said here. Now, unto um, that's the that's the God haters versus the lovers of God. And this is in Psalm fifty-four. This is uh, David when he's on the run from Saul, and the Ziphites rat him out. Just, oh, I hate people that stick their nose in somebody else's business. <laughs> Save me, O oh God, by your name, and vindicate me by your strength. Hear my prayer, O oh God. Give ear to my... To the words of my mouth, for strangers have risen up against me, and oppressors have sought after my life. They have, set, they have not set God before them. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. He will repay my enemies for their evil. Cut them off in your truth. I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name, O Lord. For it is good, for he has delivered me out of all trouble, and my eye has seen its desire upon my enemies. Turn with me to First Samuel twenty three nineteen. First Samuel twenty three. Verse 14, he's uh, in the strongholds, in the mountains, in the wilderness of Ziph. Therefore, you have the Ziphites. <laughs> Saul sought him every day, it says verse 14, but God did not deliver him into his hand. And so David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life, and David went into the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. Then Jonathan... Saul's son arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you, and you shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. And so the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his own house. Then the Ziphites came up, to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding in those strongholds in the woods, in the hill of Hakula, which is on the south of Jeshmon? Now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul, to come down, and our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. And Saul said, Blessed are you of the Lord, for you have compassion upon me. Please go and find out for sure and see the place where his hideout is and who has seen him there, for I am told he is very crafty. 
And see therefore and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with certainty and I will go with you. And it shall be if he is in the land and I will search for him throughout all the clans of Judah. And so they arose and they went to Ziph before Saul. But David and his men were in the wilderness of Moan in the plain of the south of Jesmon. And Saul and his men went to seek him. They told David therefore, he went down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of Moan. And when Saul heard that, he pursued David in the wilderness of Moan. Then Saul went to one side of the mountain and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. So David made haste to get away from Saul, for Saul and his men were circling, encircling David and his men to take them. But a messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry, come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. Therefore Saul returned from the pursuing David, and he went against the Philistines. And so they called the place the Rock of Escape. Then David went up from there and dwelt in the strongholds of En Gedi. I love this little story. This is the psalm that came out of this. You know how this is the closest Saul ever got to taking David. And you see how, to me, how can we as believers ever doubt or ever be in a place of fear? Look what he did for David. I mean, he was right on the edge. Now, let's be honest. We, nobody likes to be in tough situations where it's life and death and you're hanging in the balance. And, and, you know, it's like the Lord always shows up. He's faithful. But you just get a little bit uncomfortable because he always seems to cut it really close. And we don't appreciate that. But we should worry. We should not... We should. Is there anyone more faithful than God? Is there anyone that loves us more deeply than him? And you just look at this and you think, and I'm thinking, David thinks, man, I am toast. I am had it. I mean, you know, if you're encircled and you're on a mountain, you can only go up, right? So it's just a matter of time, and they've got you. But look how the Lord takes care of him. Of course, you can't help but get a little... Stirred when you read, you know, the Zivites coming to Saul in verse 21. Blessed are you of the Lord, for you've had compassion on me. Have you, self centered people, you know, psychopathic people like that? I mean, this is, this guy's, it's all about him. It's just, oh, it's overwhelming. Get on, be a leader, lead the nation. <laughs> He's worried about what people think about him and someone's going to take his throne. You're on the throne now. Lead. Love God. Serve God. He was preoccupied with, with David. But again, that's not the point of this. Look at the point of Psalm 54. Is David's prayer for salvation. By your name, Lord. Let me turn back to Psalm 54 there. By your name. That's where it comes from. Your, God has written his name on you. Now, we don't really understand that. At least maybe you do better than I. But I, 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 and I don't grasp what that really means. But somehow, spiritually speaking, God knows who are his. And the enemy knows 
who they are that belong to God. His name is in us. I prayed that a lot of times when we're in the mission field and they're praying and I can't understand anything. So I just, when I pray for them, Lord, put your name on them. Because if somebody has God's, Yahweh's name on them, they're sealed. They're saved. They're going to be the Lord's. When they've come in faith and surrendered, God's got them. By your strength, vindicate me. Now, nobody likes to be misrepresented. Nobody likes to be lied about. And, and, and he's asking God to vindicate. No. There's no need to try to do that yourself because you'll just make a mess of it. And you might even prove the opposite if you're not careful. But notice he says, by your strength. And vindicate me by your strength. Verse 1 there. Hear my prayer. Hear my words. So you, when he's repeating that, there's that, there's that sense of de- desperation. I'm pretty sure David and his men were kind of like, okay, Lord, we're t- you know, it's either now or never. And then the next thing you know, that the, the army's going another direction and leaving them. And I'm sure they were like, wait, what just happened, right? It's like Jesus, when he announces his ministry, and they're going to take him and throw him over the hillside there at Nazareth. And the next thing you know, he's like, see you later. You know, he just, out from amidst them. And they're like, where do you go, right? Hey, these are the things, we look at them and we can see the supernatural, right? Isn't that encouraging? Would God supernaturally work in your life? And you can say he already has, right? (laughs) His faith. What does he say there in verse 4? God is my helper. Wow. You know, it's like that prayer of that lady on Sunday that we covered, you know. Lord, help me. God is my helper. Where else am I going to go? I don't. I don't really need anyone else. And yet, I know God uses people and God will send people to be your help, but in the end, it's God that is your helper and my helper. Thank the Lord that he uses other people to help me. Thank you. In this case, we thank the Lord for the Philistines. (laughs) He used the enemies of God for his own purposes. (laughs) A diversion, yes. I like that, yes. My enemies will be repaid for their evil. Now, do you think the Ziphites got away with this? You know, what we sow, we reap. And all you have to do is ask, what kind of harvest do I want? Mind your own business. Stay in your lane. I need to stay in my lane. You stay in your lane. We all do better if we just stay where we're supposed they, they shouldn't just, what is that to you? What are you trying to curry favor with this evil king? You think he's going to drop some crumbs Breadcrumbs for you to gobble up and going to look favorite would lift your tax burden or some blessing if you, you know, turn in his enemy. People have ulterior motives. I'm not sure the Bible records anything about the Ziphites, but I bet it, if it does, it wouldn't be good. I never took the time to look that up, but maybe Rob knows. I will worship the Lord. This is the end. My enemies will be repaid for evil, but in the end... I love God, and I'm going to worship him. You know, and that's why I feel there's people, you know, we, Kathy, I've had this conversation over the last few years. Something really did change with, in, the, in the atmosphere of our country, in the atmosphere of the church, when this whole fake pandemic thing, there's a, 
it's almost like the Lord has sent a strong delusion into the world. If, if we're walking in the flesh as the world is, they're just deceived. We see this deception is great. But it's even, even for the carnal Christian. You don't see things as you should. And people begin to cop attitudes, see things like feel justified in some attitude that's not really loving at all. And, and you know, I see it, you know, in the body of Christ, in the attitude, even in pastors, it's like, oh my goodness, what's happened? But, you know, this is what we, we're in the end times, right? This is Laodicea, you know? If you're, you don't want to be, you don't want to be lukewarm. Because if you get, you're going to get, you know, that's flesh. You're just going to get sucked up into the whatever. I mean, this is why we have woke churches today. Because they're not walking in the spirit. There is ever a time that we need to be on our knees and in the spirit. It's this day, this hour. We, there's no time to fool around. I mean, I, it's, I remember Elijah, um, Elisha, when Gehazi, dude, you realize that guy is ready to unload a boatload of money on you and you send him away? And then he, you know, it's now it's the time, you know, later on, it's now the time to build houses? Now, you know, don't take that personal there. <laughs> <laughs> it's now the time to do this? You know, storing up for the flesh? No. We're at war. This is what Elisha was trying to convey to him. Look, this isn't really the time to mess around with that stuff. I just want to pray. You know, the big churches went under major attack during the last three years, right? looks as though it's coming to the smaller churches in different ways, right? May God just pray that he purifies and helps our church, our local assembly, our small little family here, just grow in love and purity and in unity for the, for the glory of God. That's my prayer. That's my hope. Um, God is our helper in all those things, is he not? So let's take some time to pray. And um, it's, it's, we'll just stay in our seats where we're at here. And um, I'm just going to ask for some prayer requests if you, anybody has one or two. And then we'll, we'll, we'll pray as you feel led. Um, anybody have something that's, any good reports maybe too <laughs>